Hi, Craig here from the Bachelor Masters podcast. Do you watch the Bachelor shows ironically, like we do? Do you think critically about the socio-political ramifications of what occurs in the shows, like we do? If so, we're the podcast for you. We, the Bachelor Masters, combine deep dives into the show's problems with jokes and even some sound effects Uh to deliver what we think is a well-rounded podcast you'll enjoy after every episode. So give us a listen, as ironically as you want, on your favorite podcast app. That's The Bachelor Masters, a bridge burner podcast. Welcome to Bill and Rob's An Excellent Adventure. I'm Bill Tilly. And I'm Rob Schulte. Bill, we're three episodes in. Can you believe it? It's three times nice, Rob. That's how it is. It's we've it's three more than we thought we'd get through. It's like the rule of exclamation points. Mm-hmm. One or three, anything in between is just kind of awkward. Oh, I thought it was like that star thing where it's like, you know, if you do one pod, then the next week another pod shows up and then another oh. pod. You know, you know how they have oh, yeah. pods. They just multiply like crazy. You've got to watch out for them. Yeah, uh, I was just out in the desert. And uh, Ooh. there's a lot of pods out there you want to look out for as well. Uh-huh. Well, I got to know, Rob, if you were out in the desert, you know, the desert's known for strange and weird things. You and I do a podcast where we watch movies and about strange and weird things. Did you f- see anything out there that was not in that, not in an alien sort of way, not in the way that um, we'll be getting to later on in this series, especially ah. once the aliens start to arrive, uh-huh. whatever form they may take. Uh-huh. Uh, but it did remind me being out there. Um, I was in the California desert near oh. Joshua Tree, but my uncle used to live in Tonopah, Nevada. Okay, now it's a smaller Nevadan town, uh-huh. and apparently, you know, there's there's Area 51. There's a video game about it. There's a lot of rumors about aliens. Sure, Bill um, Pullman gave one of the greatest speeches of all time there. Exactly. Uh, it's not. The United States is Independence Day. It's the world's Independence Day, yes. if I remember correctly. Uh-huh. Um, I don't know which numbered area he lived by, but there was a couple of stories I remember. He said that everyone always sees weird things flying up in the sky. I remember specifically they would see something that would just be like floating and then pew, take off, right? No one thought they were alien spacecrafts, though. Absolutely no one in this town thought they were aliens. Really? They were like, these are test uh, jets, flying machines, something from the government, because we know that a certain amount of people in this tiny-ass town work there and do not talk about it. Mm. There's another story where uh, he's like, yeah, you follow this one road all the way out there. You start seeing signs that say, like, you know, shoot to kill or whatever the 
uh, uh, conveniently not as dangerous version of that phrase is. And I was like, well, what happens? What happens when you get close to like the, the compound or whatever, you know, I'm like a 14 year old asking my uncle about this. So he might also be playing it up the theatrics Uh. of everything. He's like, you won't see anything. You'll see one guard post who says, turn around. You didn't see anything here. And you didn't because you won't, they won't let you get close enough to it. Oh, that's no fun. That's no fun at all. Here's one that might be fun. This is the last thing I remember from visiting my uncle out there. In the local watering hole, there is a plaque. And of course, I'm remembering this from many years ago. There's a plaque of the stealth bomber with a thank you to the town for staying quiet or being (laughs) stealth. Right? Because I think it came out that that was actually the place that the stealth bomber was created at or designed or perfected or whatever it may be. Sure. And... You gotta love when some secrets are kind of let out. You know, like, we don't have to keep this one anymore, you know? Well, yeah. I mean, it's the fun part about when stuff's, you know, unredacted. Then you finally get to tell the story. I would take some delayed valor. Hey, yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. I'd be like, I lived in this town and I didn't say I, (laughs) I didn't tell anyone I saw something in the sky. So you know that time that they said that meteor wasn't going to crash into the earth? Well, my mining team and I went up there, and we were part of the people that took care of that. So you're welcome. Oh, man, Bill. One of these days, we're going to have to do a series on, like, space disasters. Because I also recently saw a clip from the Ben Affleck commentary of Armageddon. No. And the, the, the clip was just the part where he was like, so you're telling me... They're going to train a bunch of drillers to be astronauts and not the other way around. Nope. You're telling me it's easier to train drillers to be astronauts than to train astronauts how to press on on a drill. Yes. That's exactly <laughs> what this movie tells you. It's exactly <laughs> what you're supposed to take away from it. This was all part of the thing. So, I well, I recently watched a movie called uh, Moonfall. Oh, Yes. If, oh yeah. So if we're going to talk disasters, and that movie absolutely was a disaster, uh, this may be something for our friends out there to stick around for in a future series. So looks That's like true. Looks like we've already looked into the crystal ball of pod themes and picked another winner, Rob. But I will tell our listeners this, Bill: it won't be the next series. No, because we are already recording those episodes, and they are amazing. Also, amazing guests, but. We shouldn't talk about those guests because we have a group of guests joining us on today's episode, and it is a your pick. It is. What movie did we watch? We watched the movie Eliminators. (laughs) And in some ways, it's one of those movies that you almost want to tell somebody you're sorry you made them watch. But, you know, once we got through it, we had too much fun recording this episode. So it was all worth it. It was all worth it. And you'll hear our more specific thoughts going into it. Bill, we should just get into the meat of the episode. I think we should eliminate this Marin and get right into the review of Eliminators. Every movie leading up to Predator is something that's on the Predator bubble, right? Right. Robo War, obviously. The Relic. 
kind of a stretch, you know? That's what we did last week as well. But it was monster hunting, dark environment, blah, blah, blah. I could see this. This is a jungle hunt type of movie, but tell me what you're thinking. It is. I mean, it does take place in the jungle, and there are some... That's science fiction, and there's not really a monster to chase, as in Predator or anything like that, but it's kind of in that 80s... It's got a RoboWar feel to it, so gotcha. I just kind of went with it. Plus, when it comes right down to it, Rob, I really just wanted to make you watch this movie, and I wanted to know what you <laughs> thought about it. So I am not above being honest in our broadcasting hey, efforts. We love honesty here. Always have. Three episodes in, loving honesty. But, Bill, I think this leads to a bigger discussion, don't you? Because, like... The idea is that we've got a seasonal treat. I like watching movies like this, and it's not exactly a horror film. No, it's not. It's definitely more of your kind of uh, trippy B, or maybe some people might argue C movie, sci-fi action movie. But I'm with you, Rob. When it comes right down to it, I just love talking movies with my buddy Rob. And I like talking the movies that are left behind or on the fringe or just everybody's out there doing the big stuff. I mean, we're doing Predator, which is easy to do a Predator series, but the stuff we're doing off to the side can be just as much fun. So I think we have a lot of potential to do a lot of different themes that revolve around the kind of stuff we like and then definitely not leave the tried and true pumpkin spice horror stuff behind. Well, of course, I think every autumn it's understood we're going to have to put out something horror-related. Absolutely. Right? And actually, that is a challenge to me because, I, as well-documented, I'm not a horror movie uh, kind of guy in, in general or aficionado, but I like the idea of watching them and it's something that you care very much about and then talking about it with you because I am one of those guys that likes seeing his friends happy, and I know that a good <laughs> horror movie makes Rob Schulte very happy. It does. It's true. Bill ain't lying. Uh, more likely... Uh, Someone making a horror film hoping that it's going to be good uh, is right up my alley. If anything, these movies that we're watching off to the side show that Rob and I love the effort. We want to see the effort yes. somebody put out. A lack of effort, we will call you out on it. But if you're swinging for the fences, we can appreciate that because, you know, we like the underdog. We root for those. It's the only thing we care about, truly. Oh, um, true. Very true. Now, Bill... I think at the end of the day, we do have to focus on today's film. We do. And that is Eliminators from 1986. Could we get into the mission briefing? I believe you've got the uh, manila folder today. Uh, it does. It, actually, this manila folder opens up with an access code that tells me to slide this five and a quarter floppy disk into our <laughs> computer that we've got here. And I'm putting in the code now. Which is, for some reason, in the shape of a human head. Yeah, the, this disc goes right in its mouth, which is very unsettling. The only way we can think of uh, an intelligence working is through a head. Exactly. It has to be that kind of cranial-based information. So I'm inputting <laughs> the code, and I'm bringing up the synopsis for Eliminators. Abbott Reeves is a brilliant scientist. He's mastered time travel and created a mandroid. Half man, half machine. A brilliant scientist indeed. Problem is, he's a twisted evil madman whose sole aim is to rule the world. Mandroid, 
unhappy with his new existence, is out to avenge himself on his creator. He gains the help of Nora, who also has a vendetta against Reeves. Along for the ride are jungle guide Harry Fontana and martial arts expert Kuji. Together, they must attack Reeves' jungle fortress, not only to satisfy their own quest for revenge, but also save the world from the sadistic wrath of Abbott Reeves. Wow. Wow. I think the tagline is worth repeating here, Robs. It's also mm. great. Mandroid. Mercenary. Scientist. Ninja. Together they are the Eliminators. Why Mandroid? <laughs> Couldn't it just be Android? Well, no, because an Android would be a fully autonomous machine like Data from oh, Star true. Trek. Oh, true. So this would... This is a cyborg. He is a cyborg, but Mandroid, I think, just really rolls off the tongue. And it was enough that Charles Band reused it for the title of another film, actually titled Mandroid. So, oh I, my God! You know, it's the presentation. We got you know, it's plain old cyborg. That's kind of like you know, plain old hamburger, big deal. But you call it the Whopper, you got something going on there. Wow! They should have called this movie uh, Whopper Droid. Then, <laughs> well, it is a Whopper of bits and pieces of movies jammed together. No kidding! This is definitely a look at the cover of the movie at Blockbuster, or movies at home, or wherever local rental you're going to, and uh, going, Dad, please, oh. please, Mom, please, hundred percent. This is. I'm going to tell you right now. I. I think going forward i'm putting the cover a vhs cover of eliminators as top vhs cover of all the movies we've watched and all the movies we're going to watch that's huge yeah if something unseats it that you throw out there i'm going to be i'm going to be amazed by that so that is the challenge if we have a vhs cover king that knocks off eliminators i want to see it i do like it but it ain't no monkey shines (laughs) Well, or what's the one with the guy in the electric chair, the shocker? The shocker. <laughs> yeah. Oh man. Okay. So, we know what the movie's about. We get it. It looks a little RoboCopy. It looks a little predatory. It looks a little alieny. It looks a little commandoy. I'm saying it fits, but it really isn't frightening because it's just about a robot escaping, finding a scientist in robotics. And then going back to the place to stop the guy who uh, was enslaving him yeah. as a robot. Yeah, it really now, starts where it ends. I mean, I hate to jump to the end, but the end is at the beginning. Why does he run away? He runs away because the, his evil creator has decided he is no longer useful and he's going to have him disassembled. Yeah, but but he could kill him. Well, if you're going to start applying logic straight out of the gate to this thing. Well, okay, fair, 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 Okay. I just wish there would have been a thing where, like, maybe he gets hit with an electric shock and he's like, oh, my circuitry. (laughs) But I guess he does get hit with a laser bullet. Well, he he does. He wants to kill this evil scientist, but, you know, secondary has a conscience scientist kind of talks him out of it until he meets his own fate and then he does he does want to kill him but i think he has the problem and maybe i've answered my own question that i'm gonna (laughs) have to i'm gonna have to get to something here in a second is that have you ever seen an evil scientist who ever has their headquarters like in a downtown district that's really nice in a penthouse 
a dentist office yeah. or something. Like a like a nice glass skyscraper with plenty of heating and cool. Like they're always in the draftiest, worst castles yeah. in the middle of the jungle for no reason that I can ascertain whatsoever because evil hides just as well in the city as it does in the jungle. You have hit the nail on the head because it's like also that goes with um his henchmen. You know, mm-hmm. like, that's one thing I actually really liked about this movie is that, like, all of the henchmen are just, like, schlubby mm-hmm. dudes who are obviously just like, sure, this guy's paying me. I'll I'll do what he wants. Yeah. It's not like he has any tactical officers on his team. No. Reeves is the only person who's, I guess, got any intelligence. And it still doesn't make sense. He's wearing, like, three-piece suits in the jungle ruins. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, to be fair, let's describe Arthur Reeves. He's very much kind of a cross between Doc Brown and Phantom of the Opera. You know, he's got crazy (laughs) hair. He's got a scarred face, a scarred body, and all this stuff. But, like, he's got money, so I get that he... At one point, we learn he faked his own death, but, like, he has no major domo that's like, look, you're in charge of recruiting the best of the best for my security here. It's like he just went to Man Can and just put out a a flyer on some cars, and it's like, you know, hey... Need thugs apply at Jungle Fortress of late scientist Abbott Reeves. Five hundred dollars weekly. Yeah, no questions asked. Yeah, exactly. So it's it's just too it's just too weird. I'm thinking, you know, these older scientists, you know, you think they'd want to be somewhere where they could stay warm and on a one yeah. level with not a lot of stairs, but they they never do. Well, I think now is as good a time as any, Bill, to get into some. Military intelligence. I think so, though. I'm getting some data over the ticker now as we speak, Rob. Beep, 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 beep. I'm going to start this one off because this is a your pick, and I know that you have got some solid gold nuggets. First of all, the IMDb trivia page for this movie is filled out as if it was like a seventh grade homework assignment. <laughs> It's like, so-and-so says this was the most fun they ever had. Uh And that's it. No sighting. You know what I mean? Like, this movie was made in 1986, and at that time, it was 90 degrees out where they filmed. Uh It's like, okay. But I think we can definitely both note that uh, the phrase eliminators does not appear in the film at all. Nope. Um, Which is okay. It doesn't have to. It's not like uh, out of Africa where they're driving away at the end and he's like, I'm just so tired of all this traffic. I just can't wait till we get out of Africa. You know? Yeah. Um, You don't have to work in the title of the movie to the movie. Yeah. You don't. But I do find it interesting that uh, our main, one of our main characters, uh, the the mandroid, Patrick Reynolds of uh, tobacco fame. Mm Mm-hmm. Uh, this apparently was his last acting role, but Bill, can you give me some updates on some previous acting roles by Mr. Patrick Reynolds? So yeah, Rob, uh, you look at him now and he's clearly a young man in this movie, so he's got some acting ahead of him. Uh, one of the things I've noticed that he's in is he was in Xanadu with Olivia Newton-John, one of my favorites, but he was also one of the Harry Krishnas in the original Airplane. So Interesting. I'm wondering, wouldn't it be great to find out, because at the beginning of this movie, we learned that he is a pilot who crashes his model airplane, because that's clearly what he's flying, Yes, into the jungle. Wouldn't it be neat if that tied back to that film and find out he was a Krishna and then got obsessed with airplanes, and this is the same character 
from Airplane. <laughs> it was turned oh into God. the Mandroid. But he, it's going to have to be. I think so. But yeah, his credits go back into some 70s TV, and then they just drop off. They just lead to nowhere, so. I know he he started doing like, well, he, I think he's still collected his tobacco checks, but also advocated for like, you know, education, awareness on the harmful things of tobacco. He did. His biggest impact has probably been Eliminators. I would think so. Uh, outside of using his great and powerful family fortune to try and alleviate lung cancer yeah, and heart yeah. disease, clearly Eliminators, that's what's going to go down as his biggest accomplishment. Until until we get any huge breakthroughs. Exactly. You know? I mean, he's still alive. There's a chance that he could come back for Eliminators 2, oh, the return man. of John Doe. No tank treads this time. No, he's going to have to have a hover tank to go around with this one. <laughs> Any particular military intelligence that jumped out to you? Yeah, big stuff. Uh, one, this movie's written by Danny Bilson and Paul DeMeo, who are icons of mine in the TV industry. They were responsible for writing The Flash TV show in the 90s. Oh, the one with Dawson Creek, Dad? Yeah, with John Wesley Shipp. Well, I remember every moment. Viper, the... Uh, amazing Dodge Viper superhero TV car show oh, from the mid nineties. Oh, I about Viper. Yeah, they he, they wrote uh, the original Sp Rick Springfield Human Target TV show. Damn. And one you may know, they were responsible for the Sentinel. Rob, really? Yeah, yeah. They were prolific in their writing for things that revolved around the kind of the not low, well, I guess low budget superheroy type hero stuff they were really good at syndicated tv in the day and they are also were the lead writers for the rocketeer movie with billy campbell and jennifer Connelly. yeah and hey was the sentinel a spinoff of renegade unclear for me i they're yeah. in that same genre i i don't think they're connected if this is valverde universe something's got to be yeah, the, I mean the Renegade universe. Well, that would be to me. That's like the the Stephen Can Stephen J. Cannell universe. Yeah, that kind yeah. of stuff, which is its own thing. But also, they were also the writers on a movie that I think we're going to wind up seeing before too much longer into this theme is Trancers with <laughs> Tim Thomerson. <laughs> Man, Trancers is a difficult watch. But it's so much fun. Yeah. So that was amazing. Uh, the actor Roy Dotrice, I believe is how you pronounce his name, who plays Abbott Reeves in this movie, also uh, is a big time guy for me because not only was he Commissioner Simmons on Space 1999, he played Anton Pamchenko, the coach for Moira Kelly and D.B. Sweeney in The Cutting Edge. Oh, wow. Yeah. So I have a big time soft spot for the movie The Cutting Edge. It ranks in there of my approved uh, multiple rom-com watching movies. That one really gets me. I just like that one a whole bunch. And uh, this movie also stars Denise Crosby. This film was done one year before she took on the role of Tasha Yar in TNG. And then my last real big bit of business is this movie is produced by Charles Band which is also going to play into, I think, some of our themes hopefully down the road because Charles Band famously connected to Empire Pictures, which is an icon of B-movie schlock and horror and sci-fi, and they have produced a slew of cult classics, including Trancers. So I think we may have to visit the Empire 
universe and not the one that everybody would first think of when you hear us say that. Uh, Charles being legend of his time and influence clearly seen in the low budgetness of this particular film. Hell yes, it is. Bill, epic all around, but was the score epic? Well, I think it's time for us to settle that fact as we settle this score. This is the part where we talk about the music in the movie, whether it made any impact at all on us. Sometimes yes, sometimes no, sometimes a lot. This movie, not so much. The score done by Bob Summers, who was somewhat of a... He was well-rounded in the TV movie type score of the week, and that really comes through in this movie for me. I was curious to see if you picked up on that, Rob, because it's not what I would call a theatrical movie score. No. No, 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 no. It is under, it's under, it would be very underwhelming in the theater. Watching it at home on a television, you can clearly listen to it and go, okay, I get it. But you almost primes you for the commercial for Folgers Coffee to jump in. (laughs) It is very made for TV, very on the nose, uh, kind of that symphonic sound. All the cues, give them credit. Cues are pitch perfect where they hit where they need to hit. The music cranks up where it needs to crank up. But it's not something that you would just want to sit and just kind of pound into your earphones as you travel down the highway. So nice enough for what it is, but doesn't really elevate the movie at all, in my opinion. I have to agree. Um, We kind of have that problem with some of these movies that are, I mean, shit, the relic, same thing, you know? Mm -hmm. Um, I can't speak to the future Predator movies, or I won't at this point, but uh, it's just so weird because, like, we can see how, like, this is a movie, and I'm going off on a tangent here, Bill, but, like, this is a movie where you could tell they were just like, here's the money, we have to use it, and it's not a lot. Mm-hmm. But, like, a movie that maybe came out in 2004 might have been like, okay, we have this much money for special effects, and we have this much money, and it's still not a lot for everything, but it's still a hell of a lot more money in total than this movie got. Correct. And that goes into the soundtrack, because once you start getting into, like, CGI or, like, spaceships or weird effects that cost a lot of money, well, you're not going to be throwing a lot of it at the soundtrack you're not that works on this level too it does and i think that's a real testament when it does work because these movies they're not a lot of moving parts you know a lot of these soundtracks are done by guys that probably single person but i i would akin it to when it really works you get it like a john carpenter movie like an escape from new york not a ton of budget when you really consider it but he managed to use his musical ability to make a soundtrack that stuck with you when you hear the theme you know what movie you're talking about. So I think that's the main call. If you get one of those, it really, really works. Otherwise, it can be like Eliminators. It's serviceable. But if you ask me to hum it right now, not a clue. I have no idea. Yeah, I would love to own it on vinyl, right? Yes. Like, I don't care what it is, but that's like a big picture of the movie. Yeah, (laughs) if you could own it on vinyl and stare at that awesome album cover of the movie poster while you watched it, now you've got something going. Yeah, 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 yeah. Okay, Bill, there's not much more to say about the score, but what do we have next on the docket? Well, we're going to have to find out who's going to have them some fun in this movie, Robs. 
Oh, yes, we are. There's a lot of people that are having fun in this film. And I would have to narrow mine down to a very specific person for a very specific scene. Yeah, I want to know who you thought was having some fun, Rob. It's got to be Bayou Betty, right? (laughs) It has to be Bayou Betty. Played by, of course, Peggy Mannix, who we've all seen in Seinfeld, Out of Towners, ER, Dickie Roberts, former child star. It's amazing to see her in this movie because she's been in so much stuff, especially from my childhood. But anyway, Bayou Betty walks in, mad at what's-his-name, the guy who looks like he's going to be on head of the class in a few years. (laughs) Low-rent Howard Essman. Yeah. um, He's sitting at this bar. He's fine. You know, whatever. Uh, Bayou Betty walks in with a group of other guys looking tough as shit pissed that he's taking all of their boating business yeah structurally aside at an, at some point Denise Crosby walks in and uh, Nora and she goes you know I need someone I need the toughest person or whatever and Bayou Betty just spins around and punches her husband directly in the face yep which erupts into a like total bar brawl that's actually just to prove who's the toughest yep which was amazing it was hilarious it was a great way to figure out how you're going to show off your skills man it's just she just walks in and they're like denise crosby's nora characters i want to find the toughest man in the place nobody blinks an eye but betty just cold cocks the nearest person to her which is her own her own paramour and just clears yeah. the place out. And it's great because she just lays this bar, which is one of those bars that kind of looks like you've just walked into a state park bait shop type of bar that also has a lunch counter and just yeah. cleans the whole house out. She's pretty cool. Also, why are they in the bayou? I don't know. I don't know why Bayou Betty is running a charter service in what is supposed to be Mexico. And like her husband's French, he's, right? He he's very or, or like French <laughs> Bayou French. He's kind of like Justin Wilson Bayou, and she's more just like you know I've I've moved here when I was a kid from from Nebraska Bayou, and I love crawdaddies. She's really more Southern, I would say, than Bayou. And how she comes off. Yeah, it, this movie doesn't know where its setting is most of the time. I think that's I don't problem. think so. We can get to that later. Yeah, who's having the most fun for you? Well, it's similar. It's not Betty, although she was in the running, but it is a similar take. Mine is Ray, the lead henchman for Abbott Reeves, played by Pete Shrum. Pete Shrum is an Ohio native. He's If you see him, folks, if you look him up, because we're doing audio here, you see him, you know him. He's one of those guys. He's been on Quantum Leap, Family Ties, Herman's Head, Night Court. Just that guy you see that just kind of does some wacky stuff, but... He will hold a special place for me because bringing it all back to the band verse, he played the trance Santa Claus in Trancers 1 that Tim Thomerson <laughs> has to kill at Christmas time. Yes. But as Ray in this movie, he is just, he's over the top. I mean, he's making up for the fact that Rabbit Reeves has no like army of characters. He has this one character and he plays them all. He plays him psychotic. He plays him menacing. He plays him dirty. He plays him ugly. He plays comedy. He just, every scene he's in, 
he takes the knob, turns it to 11, and then just keeps twisting until the knob comes clear off. And I have to give him credit. He just he's, he embraced the part of henchman and just takes it to the hoop. So you love it. Pete having him some fun. Absolutely. Um, and I think all of these tie together into our next segment, Playback Time. And Bill, I said it before, it merges with Bayou Betty. If I had to show someone a scene to get them to watch this movie, or if I had to just choose a scene to watch on repeat, it would be that whole fight at the bar. Everything leading up to it until it cuts to the next scene. It is. It was so funny to me. It is a definite house clear. If that yeah. is a good scene. Uh, mine, I had a couple in the running of, at the very beginning of the movie, the airplane crash. Yeah. Which only sets the scene. So it's not really something I would say there. But the fact that I watched this movie with my fiance and the very, you know, this scene takes place two minutes into the film. She stopped the film, looked at me and went, really? We're mm-hmm. doing this? And I was <laughs> like, yep, we're doing this. Have to, have to. But I'm going to go with uh, the scene where Mandroid first meets Kuji, the ninja, as he just comes into screen. Oh, yes. We're not told we're going to meet a ninja at any point in this movie, but he just wanders out into the the stream. There's Kuji with his hand outstretched, and he ninja force fishes and causes the fish to jump into his hand. <laughs> You're just like, oh my God. He's Who's sitting there and going, you know what he needs? Fish powers. And we're going to show that. It wasn't like he's been out in the woods like starving or anything. He apparently just got there. He's perfectly clean. He's not dirty or anything. But I guess they just was like, look, we're, we have no money. So we need you to drop this rubber fish in the water. And we're just going to play that backwards. And it's well, going to look cool. And then later he jumps through that like spinning fan that they do it in <laughs> slow-mo. And it's like... No, he doesn't have superpowers. He's just athletic. Like, it's, yeah. And the other yeah. part is, is that it would have been so easy for them to write in a, a line of dialogue where he's like, "My father sent me the, you know, stuff for internal technology." Right? Like, yeah. They wouldn't even. They could have just written a line that he had like a cybernetic implant in his brain. I you know? know. It would have been. It would have been great if he'd said, "You're you're not the first creation my father worked on." And that's turns out all he's it Android needs. Brothers. That is all it needs, you know. Exactly. Yes. Like, oh, I get it. You're you're a robot too. So that explains why you can jump through a five thousand RPM fan blade with everything. It's great. And then so. you've got two superheroes and two humans. Yeah. You know, they, with their own, all have their own expertise. Ugh. Yep. Golden anyway. opportunity missed. Gosh. Well, we both had our thoughts on that situation, but do we have our thoughts on whose time, what, on what time to bleed? Does that make sense? It all makes as much sense as it needs to for Eliminator. Yes, so yeah, yes. I, I'm looking at my Eliminator-themed clock on the wall, and it is pointing to time to bleed. Ah. And this is... The part of the show where Rob and I talk about what on-screen death made an impact and why. So I will go first on this one. Please do. Uh, Oddly enough, you know, in this movie for being a low, but correct me if I'm wrong, Rob, not a lot of death in this movie. Yeah, that's one of my notes is, is the only actual death the scientist at the beginning? 
we can really tell. I mean, we see the mandroid shoot some guys, but maybe he just stuns them. You never know. Unclear. He is You're the not good really guy. Certain. You know, this is not a movie of exploding heads and piles and gallons of red colored KY jelly shooting out of things like <laughs> most of these movies are. It's not a but, kiss concert. No, it is not. Gene Simmons does not come out to secure the Phantom no. of the Roller Coaster. Say, look, this is my closet. Here's what's going on. Here's who I am. Here's what I've done. There is one death that really got to me, and I kind of found myself, you know, being more attached to him than I thought I would. It's Spot. Yeah. Breakfast egg maker shaped robot. He comes off. I'm pretty sure I'm going to hate him when I first see him, but I don't. But when I thought about it, when I, you know, he does... A lot in this movie. He does all the dirty work of trying to go find stuff. He flies off on missions. They send him out into the danger. They, he does his bit. He comes back and he reports. And then at the very end, he's sent off to find Abbott Reeves, which when he does, he winds up, he's been, he's clearly been captured. He gets brainwashed. He's sent back to camp and he starts shooting at his friends. And then Kuji, who I'm wondering if later he created the sweater empire that shot to fame with that name, but that's a side thought. Has to take him out. I love it, man. It's great. So my, Spot gets my, he, he gets my time to bleed, tip of the hat, and 21 laser salute. Gotta love a good fog hologram warning. Really? Yeah. Let's have that emperor moment. Let's squeeze that in too. Uh, I would have to say that like, yes, this is a tricky one to choose. Uh, especially, I don't think there's any blood in the movie at all, so... Time to bleed is questionable. Maybe some bloody noses here and there. Um, mm-hmm. But I'm going to have to go with when Reeves has like got his Iron Man arm on. And it's the same mm-hmm. colors. It's golden red. And he's telling the schlubby guys that we're talking about how, you know, they're doing a bad job. And he shocks him. And he's like, aha, it works. And then he's like, that's a warning. And here's another warning. And it's like, are we also like doing slapstick humor in this movie? This seems like it. We got the point that you can kill him. Like, you don't have to also, like, narrowly focus the laser. But it was hilarious to me. I loved it. It was intentionally funny, but not intentionally humorous, if that makes sense. No, no. It was it was grown funny, but yeah. still funny. Yeah. Um, well, Bill, I think this leads us to a perfect... I, I just love how much mileage we can get out of these crazy crazy movies man seriously here's one thing you know we've we've kind of like gone over our thoughts it's a fun movie to watch maybe you don't have to sit down and watch it all in one clip i think i was telling a friend who's more of like a cinephile that uh i think the movie's great um but if you're really precious about your time it's worth a wikipedia read of the plot and then like look up some clips on YouTube but if Mm -hmm. you're down to just have a low stakes fun popcorn munching night proceed with caution because as silly as this movie is there's some shitty lines in here that just do not withstand the test of time anyway Bill I'm glad you brought Eliminators to the table can you give me a little debriefing on your end absolutely can Rob I think this is a good slash bad <laughs> B-movie. The biggest flaw in this movie is just that the whole middle section is kind of a trek to nowhere. It's all about a trip. 
mm-hmm. to get back to Reeves. We start with Reeves, we end with Reeves compound, but we have to get there. And it's a long time. But what makes it great in this B movie is they kind of must have looked at it and went, look, we don't have a lot of story here. So we find out that Reeves has perfected time traveling, yeah. which I love that Harry just accepts. Yeah, we haven't even brought up the cavemen yet. No, you know, Harry, Reeves has created time travel. That's He's been sending the mandroid back to get stuff so that he can eventually go back and take over Rome and be the new Caesar. Yeah, wouldn't you love to live at a time before soap? Doesn't that sound wouldn't great? Wouldn't Yeah, oh, no, no medicine whatsoever. Like, this just sounds like it's going to be great. I don't think they think... And this guy doesn't have any medical problems, so he'll be fine. No, no, when he plugs the microwave straight into his colon and feeds himself that way, ah, no problem at all. That was a but weird yeah, set of grape nuts, I'll tell you that. That really was, but, you know, it... it this trip, it makes you wonder, because around the next bend in this weird state park river that they're on <laughs> you wind up hey look it's it's cavemen it's roman legions it's a ninja it's time traveling this it's, and like i said i i watched this movie with my fiance and she even said that like the one of the things that kept her going with like she just wanted to see what was around the next bin it's a i think it's best served like i've done to, to give this movie and put it on the list for you to watch i think it's a neat movie it's fun it's really fun if it's your first time watching it but after that I think the joy is in sharing this movie so that you can watch somebody else's reaction to it who hasn't seen it. So you can sit in your chair and go, oh, you don't even know what's about to happen right now and then see it on their face. So it's a it's a fun movie. It's not a movie that I will come back to tons of times. But if somebody's around and this subject comes up where it's like, well, I'd like to see a movie like that, I can go hold my beer. I will (laughs) gladly queue up eliminators for you. Bill, I think this leads perfectly to the segment that is 100% yours. Oh, I believe you're talking about late fees. And late fees is where I come up with a rating system, and I will once again give credit. I didn't invent this kind of tactic for this, but it works, so Rob and I have blatantly borrowed it and adapted it for our own. Yes. So... This is where I pick something in the movie that stands out, catches my eye, and then I present it to Rob and I say, how many of these things would you be willing to give up in order to hang on to this movie, in this case, Eliminators, for one extra day past the day it's due back at the video store just so you could watch it again? And there were several things that kind of floated by my field of vision, but there was only one that really stood out. (laughs) And it's subtle, but coming out of your favorite scene, of the bar fight as Denise Crosby exits building and then Harry Fontana, the camera pans up and outside is the sign for the bar. And Mm. the sign says Cantina de Oro, which I loosely translated as bar of gold. (laughs) Now throughout this film, Harry is convinced that Mandroid and Nora are on a quest for Aztec gold, which I don't know if the filmmakers were that savvy for this, but but I do like it. I like the fact that the Bar of Gold, as it's named, as I've once again described, this looks very much like if you went to a state park and went into like the rec center where there's yeah. the lunch counter. There's, this is not your King Solomon's Mines deep, dark, gritty type setup here. This is very much a well-lit marina with some kind of, I'm sure, the ODNR officer off to the side making sure they don't drive the boats too fast up and down in the no-wake zone. Oh, of while course. Of course. But that sign really struck me. I really loved it. I loved the idea of it, and I thought I would just love to have that hanging in my house. So, Rob, 
For on a scale of one to five Cantina de Oro signs, how many of those would you give up to hang on to Eliminators for one more day? I think it's tough, Bill, because there are aspects of this movie I like. And of course, you know, this is a rating for this movie and this movie only, and it's has no say on like what I would do for Robo War, you know. Correct. Uh, it's non-transferable. It can't possibly pass the three marker for me. So I think this is gonna get a solid two point two five. So I've got two glowing signs and one sign that's like a box of like the they're trying to deliver me the sign. But FedEx got it all jumbled, and it kind of looks like the package at the beginning of Ace Ventura: Pet Detective. Ah, it's it's boo. <laughs> that seems to be broken. It'll yeah. fill out a form. How about you? I can relate to that. Yeah, I would say for me, I'm gonna go a touch higher. Uh, this falls directly into my wheelhouse of movies that I would have gladly chucked in back <laughs> in the day, or in the days of satellite TV on heavy East Coast, West Coast, HBO repeat. Yeah, it's like, I'll watch the 3 o'clock viewing of this and the 6 o'clock viewing because Saturday and I got nowhere to go. <laughs> and I'm and I'm at this point, I'm 13 years old. So I'm going to say I'm going to give up a solid three full outside, wow. three foot high Cantina de Oro signs. I'm going to hang on to, to one big sign and then all the matchbooks inside the bar that have that sign printed on them. <laughs> but I'm going to give up the big three. I'm going to hang on to Eliminators one more day. I'm going to rewind a lot. of. I'm going to rewind that fishing scene. I'm going to rewind Harry Fontana's bank shot laser beam scene oh, into I the back it. of the ex, uh, back of the exploding three wheelers that are some reason laser proof. I, I'm going to get one more viewing out of this. And that's what I'm willing to give up. Hell yeah. Well, Bill, another successful recording, but you know we couldn't end it without a section I like to call Going Dutch. I give a little bit, you give a little bit, Bill, and our audience gives a little bit. And in that, I mean they ask us questions and we answer them. One of and my favorite parts. Bill, I've got a question. And this question comes from Megan from Washington State. Well, hello, Megan. If you had to put together a squad of five individuals, what would their powers slash specialties be? And what's the heist? Also, I'm loving the new format. Long live the card daddy. Wow. <laughs> oh, Obviously, Bill, you've you. got a fan. Uh, well. I just is, keep the I just keep you know the show rolling. Okay, great. Um, oh, don't sell yourself short, Rob. You're on my elite podcast team every time. You know that, of course. And I think the idea here, Bill, I think the best way we should build this together for time saving purposes. And if people good. would like our uh, individuals, they can reach out to us at uh, you know socials. I think the best uh, another way to approach this is also we should figure out what the heist is first, right? Sure. And maybe if it's just a basic, like, we're breaking in and saving the prisoners sort of heist. I don't know. Yeah, I think let's let's do that. Let's actually circle back to our, our predator theme. So we're we're on a rescue mission. We're a rescue we're a rescue team, not assassins. Could be that the predator's there. We don't know that yet. Could you be. Know? So we gotta put together an elite squad. And although it's hard because, you know, obviously the Predator team was a great squad on paper, but mm, they didn't they didn't last. 
No. So we'll probably no. have to pull fictional characters from other movies. I think so. So Okay. Who do you got? Well, if we're going to go uh, fictional characters, let's see. Man, I think you got to start top down with the leader kind of thing. And yeah, for me, yeah. when, when, when I think leader, I want somebody that not only is able to bring the classics to bear on how they're going to get something done, they're able to pivot and go on the fly. So there's only one choice for me. I would draft uh, Colonel John Hannibal Smith from the A-team. Of course. To be my squad leader. He's going to be the one that's going to go in and plan this mission. And that way, when the mission goes completely pear-shaped, he will be able to replan it and somehow pull out a win. So I'm going to George Papard. Okay. So that's our squad leader. Mm -hmm. I think we're going to need someone who's psychologically knows the warfare, right? Like knows Uh the battlefield um, or knows how to operate on a battlefield through tons of experience, right? Mm -hmm. Uh, They might also know how to use uh, technology that might be a little bit more advanced. And I would love to then put a cage as portrayed by Tom Cruise in Edge of Tomorrow slash Live, Die, Repeat. Wow. Yes. So that would be... Wow. So that's number two. We've got three more, Bill. Oh, my gosh. Oh, my gosh. That is awesome. So, all right. So you've got to... We've got our leader. But, of course, he doesn't have to repeat anymore. He just now has the knowledge from his time. That's true. And we want him to just live and not die. Live, live, live. Right. So Exactly. So I'm going to need somebody we're going to need some transport to get to where we're going to need to go we need somebody who's who's adapted getting getting some of that stuff done so uh i'm imagining if we're going to go with the jungle we're not going to need a lot of ground transport probably going to need some air transport so i'm going to stick with we're going to need a top chopper pilot somebody who can also work on the ground so i am going to go with roy scheider's frank murphy I'm going to, from Blue Thunder, I'm going to bring in Roy. He's going to be, because he's going to bring in, I I was thinking Jan Michael Vincent from Airwolf, but really I think I'm going to go with Roy because Roy's a little older, a little more level-headed, don't really need a hot shot in this deal, but he's got excellent chopper skills and is going to be a help on the ground as well. He's going to bring something. I think he's going to mesh well with the rest of this team. So I'm going to pick him as our transport. Oh, I love it. I think that's... That might be, we got to have transport. I wasn't even thinking about transport, you know? He can loop a chopper, Robs. Nobody can loop a chopper, but he can. Okay, I've got one more, and then the final one we have to put together together, man. All right. Is that right? I think Uh that's right. I just thought back to, like, what's the most recent film I've seen that feels like a predator? You know what I mean? Like, in the jungle and stuff, but has actually come out recently. And... I'm going to go with Chadwick Boseman, rest in peace, as Storm and Norman in De Five Bloods. Wow. Because although he was a leader of his squad, I think he's going to bring some extra knowledge to our crew. That could be very helpful. Wow. Yeah. That's cool. I yeah, like dude. that. So we've got one more. All right. So, And let me tell let's... you who I didn't choose but came into mind. Okay. The Terminator. And you know why? Because the Terminator <laughs> is not a team player. 
No, he is not. So, and also Dutch already killed the Predator. So that's true. We don't need the Terminator. And I think it's safe to say we are picking these characters. Of course, some of them aren't running. We are picking them at the height of their powers correctly. Of I course, mean, we're, of we're course. plucking them from their key yes. moments in film history. We're taking the the time travel technology from Eliminators and ah. creating uh, new Eliminators. That sounds... Hey, I hope Stallone doesn't rip off this idea and turn it into a multi-million dollar franchise. All right. Well, in that case, then uh, I'm going to pick our fighting element. Imagine thinking someone was listening to our podcast and that they stole our idea for a movie. (laughs) Yeah. Good luck with that, guys. Um, Yeah, that's going to be a problem. You're going to need some of that Grand Moff Tarkin CGI stuff going on. If that is ever a fear anyone ever has had on Earth... They need to um, have more ideas. Yes, please. <laughs> please sit in a room and just come up with ideas. Come up Get with your... a second idea because there's only about five stories out there. Right. Think <laughs> of that story and do something else. Yeah. So I'm going to I'm gonna focus on our, our, our combat element here. And this might be a little off on okay. some people. Might okay. not know this, but I, I want somebody who's not only awesome with their fighting ability but it's got some real heart hell yeah really really knows how to get in there and and do what needs to be done without being just overrun by savagery wolverine style so i'm gonna say i want to bring in our martial arts combat specialist i want it to be uh philip ray who played tommy lee in the film series best of the best whoa i love best of the best i love tommy i think he's great He's good at all the martial arts stuff, but he's a good dude. He's got some character. He's a team player. He's just he's just awesome. Let's just face it. I'm not going to pick him for any other reason other than he's just awesome, and I would want to see him on this team. And that's my pick for our combat specialist. Hell yeah. I love Tommy Lee's work on the Methods of Mayhem album. Bill, I yeah, think yeah. we can both agree that the final person for the tactical squad has to be Louis De Palma, as portrayed by Danny DeVito on the TV show Taxi. <laughs> Either him or uh, Bayou Betty, who should probably be on every action squad and every version of the Expendables movie. We all know this. Wow, Bill. Can you believe it? We eliminated that episode from the list of movies we needed to watch. We didn't even have to go back in time. Although, I guess you could say... By recording this intro-outro segment at a different point in time than the meat of the episode, we have traveled in time. We have. Uh, Luckily, we haven't pulled a mistake like the villain of this movie and wound up back in prehistoric times with a bunch of money and nowhere to spend it. So, (laughs) you know, that's pretty good. I'm I'm all for that. If I go back in time, Rob, I don't want one of those. You know, I don't want it to go bad. I want it to be good. No, no. I, I think I'll stay away from the time travel technology. Rob, would you like me to tell you my time travel story? Oh, please. Okay. So I have this conversation every so often. It's fun to think about time travel. It's not always fun to watch it, but it's always fun to think about it. And for many, many years, it's like, well, what would happen if I went back? What would I do? Would I do the sports almanac to the point where I've often thought about keeping like just a few lottery numbers or specific things in my wallet in case I ever get transported back? Because I'm not going to remember everything. They're going to tell me what year it is, and I'm just going to take a shot at it. But we'll see. But 
few years ago, I had just gotten one of my first smartphones. Oh, boy. And, you know, it has the date and the time at the top of it, like digital printout and all that stuff. So I pulled into a gas station and I was putting gas in my car. And I don't know for what reason this happened, but the cell phone reset itself instantly. It blinked out. So when I looked down, you know, it's after work, I'm tired, not really paying attention. And I glance over and my cell phone says January 1st, 1980. Oh, man. Did you and pull out a, a Polaroid or anything? No, it only lasted a split second in my <laughs> head. But the I remember specifically the thought went through my brain. Oh, my God, I've made it back. I can do it all over again. I'm like, I've driven through a a fissure in the space-time continuum, and then I look up, it's going to be 1980. And of course, it wasn't. I know I instantly went, oh, yeah, okay, my phone screwed up. But it was a glorious couple of seconds, Rob. It really was. It's the closest I'll ever get. Man, Bill, I... I envy those moments. I'm, it's not a nostalgia drug or anything, no. but it is a thought to be like, boy, what I wouldn't give for the simple day of 1980 one more time. That would be nice. People, it would be nice. People are not meant to see this many faces in their lifetime, Bill. Oh, no, no. This is way different than it used to be. Way different. But, you know, the good part is you can use this technology for good, which is what you and I are doing with this podcast. Absolutely. Now, Bill, before we um, close out today's episode, I would like to poke fun at myself and oh. say that last week's episode, I read two letters from our audience. I doubled up on letters. So we're, we're keeping it where it's at this week. I hope everyone enjoys the answers they're getting and continue to send in movie requests or suggestions. We don't have fans. We have friends, as you always say. Uh, and our friends have provided us with some great talking points already. They have. <laughs> um, it's one of the best parts about this job. I should say that there's so much time travel in this episode, Bill, that we got to keep the Predator bubble going, but keep it in the time travel realm for next episode. Uh-huh. Because the episode after that, is when we start the Predator series. I know. It's crazy. Oh, I love it. I love it. Okay, so I'm going to rattle through some credits because we got a couple of new people to thank this time, and it's going to be thrilling, Bill. Mm-hmm. So first of all, we got to thank Jothan for our podcast art. It's yes. great. It is awesome. We got to thank Mrs. Colombo for the QA production she's doing making sure these episodes sound great. And of course, we got to thank Patrick, who's helping us edit these episodes. He's also a friend of DeSoto. Ever heard of it? A little bit. Might have heard about that once or twice. Yep. Draxium and Dr. Z for that theme song. Oh, my Lord. It's amazing. It rocks. Links to the theme songs, creators, band camps can be found in the show description as well as the way that you, the listener, can help support this podcast. Bill, tell them a little bit about why support is helpful. Support is the lifeblood that keeps everything going these days, everybody. We live in a different world, and support and sharing information and telling people about stuff, that is the currency of things like this. If you're a creative, you got to get the word out. We don't expect one, two, ten people to carry the load for us. We'd like everybody to try this. We want to reach everybody. It's fun for us. It's fun for you. 
That's all we ask. Share it out there. And that way, everybody who can support does. It's much appreciated. It really makes a difference. And a lot of it is free. And that's the best yeah. thing you can do is just sharing. It's free. You know, yep. make a tweet, retweet ours. You don't even have to do anything extra. Just pop it back out there in your feed or let somebody that you know who likes movies say, hey, dial up this show and give them a listen. They're not. Yeah. Too bad. And hopefully we're not. I don't think we're not. I no, we're, we're good. We're pretty darn good. Yeah. yeah. Call the adventure line if you want to leave a voicemail too. that uh, number is 213-545-6176. It's also in the show description. There's other ways to leave voice messages. Also in the show description, there's ways to support us with a $1 non-subscription-based donation in the show description. Bill, it's crazy. What else can you possibly do with a dollar? I am <laughs> telling you right now, I'm working on a wedding and a remodel. You, you can cry into a dollar. You actually yeah. need two if you've got two eyes. For those of you with two eyes, you're going to need one for a dollar for each eye. But if you've got an eye patch... Wow, that would be a pretty nice eye patch, though. A little dollar that'd be that'd be renegade esque. That would be kind of cool. It sets yeah. a tone. And I would I like, like to it. let everybody know the Adventure Line. There's actually a red phone with one button in the middle of it. That phone rings at Rob's house. It does, and I'm getting it forwarded to Bill's. But mm-hmm. uh, I'm waiting till after the wedding because he's busy enough right now, folks. Well, Bill, it's been another excellent adventure. Thank you so much for joining me in this uh, journey. Thank you for bringing me along, Rob. It's just too much fun to do this with you every week. So let's do it again. See you next time, everyone. (laughs) 